part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruiz. Ephesians chapter 4, why don't you grab your Bible? I got to be careful what I preach. Last week, I uh, took you through the uh, first half of Ephesians chapter 4, and there was that verse there on uh, humility, gentleness, patience, etc. And uh, on Monday, one of you decided to take me to play golf. And after my first, and then my second, and uh, a number of other shots, took a right turn into the woods. Uh, the guy I was with, he said, what is it you preached on again yesterday? Let's see, let's see how that plays out today. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 is where Paul begins to challenge us. We've had it easy in the first three chapters, and now he's going to challenge us. Last week, I showed you the beginning of chapter 4, and um, essentially, here's where he's going. At the end of 3, he told us that the church, that's us, we are to be to the glory of God. In fact, we are to be the glory of God here on earth. We are to be the physical manifestation of God's glory for the rest of the world here on earth. And uh, the question now is, how does, that, how does that work? How does that play out? How do we do that? What, is it, what does it look like, Paul? And he said, I'm glad you asked. Let me write chapter 4. Chapter 4, he said, We are to walk out our Christianity in a manner that is worthy of our calling, verse 1. Okay, so we're to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We see what our calling is in chapter 1, 2, and 3. And to be walking in a manner worthy means that you walk in balance to your calling. That your walk should match, in essence. It should be an equal and opposite reaction to that glorious calling that you have in Christ Jesus. It should match. It should be on parallel path. It shouldn't be on a divergent path. Okay. So specifically, what does that walk look like? And he jumps into it. Chapter 4, verse 2. Specifically, here's what your attitude should be. So that, number one, the body of Christ can be, remember the word? Unified. How do we glorify God in the church? Number one, we make sure that we... Remember what he said? We preserve the unity of the body. And it's not that we are to achieve unity. Our unity has already been achieved. Through the cross, Christ has already unified us. Remember Jew, Gentile, chapter 1, 2, and 3? He's accomplished our unification. It's there. Whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, we are unified and we are called to be one. Remember the examples he gave us? He said, just like the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one, you are to be one. And even though Jesus, in his accomplishing your salvation on the cross, handed out gifts to each one of us that make us unique, don't forget that all those individual unique gifts are to play together, work together, to be in rhythm together, harmony together. Remember the, the illustration last week? It's the, it's the principle of the lumpa, right? If you missed it, you got to go back and listen. The lupa principle of church unity right here. We are to be in rhythm, all in one accord. So each gift that we have, each instrument that we might be 
given from God, they are to be harmonious. We are to be in concert with one another, even though we're unique. And we get there by having humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance to one another in love, diligent to preserve the unity. Diligent to preserve the unity. What is the goal in all of this? The goal was, verse 12, so that we can equip the saints for the work of service. It's for the building up of the body of Christ. We all get a job to do, but all of our jobs are supposed to work together in harmony. We're not working against one another. If we're working against one another, guess what? The glory of God gets covered, gets gets dulled. The light starts to go out when we work against each other. There is no harmony. There is no rhythm. Uh, maybe you've seen the commercial, one of these infomercials that's out recently. I probably wouldn't have noticed this commercial had I not started running again. You know, I've been a pretty athletic guy my whole life, playing sports mostly, but I've never been a runner. I started running and I started noticing different commercials. And the commercial that popped out to me was this Joe Montana commercial, Joint Juice. Have you seen it? Joint Juice? Yeah. Now, if you don't have any joint problems, you probably haven't noticed the commercial. If you got anything that's hurting, right, if you're, if you're reaching 40 or you're well past your 40s, you, you pay attention when Joe Montana comes on and starts talking about joint juice, right? And as silly as it is, I'm thinking maybe, I mean, Joe's a good guy, you know? One of the greatest quarterbacks ever. Maybe I should listen to Joe. Maybe I should get some joint juice. I started running and my knees started to war against me. You know, if you've ever gone that long period of time without any exercise and then you jump back in and you try to start exercising, you have members of your body that start to rebel, don't they? And my knees were waving a flag saying, listen here, buddy, you're not as young as you used to be. We're not what we once were. You got to slow it down. Um, I don't know if you realize it, but in your body, there's this stuff that God has blessed you with. It's called synovial fluid. And in some of your joints where bone meets bone, God has in his sovereignty put this fluid as a cushion. It's called synovial fluid. And so that one bone doesn't have to press against another bone. God has graciously squirted in there this cushioning. This It's like an egg-like yoke substance that pads one bone from crunching another bone. And as you get older, that synovial fluid starts to starts to loosen and it starts to uh, no longer work as it once did. And you probably don't know that there's fluid in there until you it's not working like it should be. It starts to disappear and then you become arthritic. You have an itis of the arth And then they invented things like Tylenol and ibuprofen to help combat that. And then if it gets real bad, they give you a shot in there. Um, We as a body of Christ can't live. Here's the point. We can't live bone to bone. Can you live bone to bone in your own family? Or do you need that cushioning? Do you need that synovial fluid of grace, patience, mercy, kindness? Tolerance, long-suffering for one another. I mean, anybody, uh, we won't even talk about husband and wife because there's, 
there's no problem there, I'm sure. But how about in your extended family? Anybody got any Cousin Eddie's in their, in their family? Pull up in their Winnebago. Um, my brother's kind of a Cousin Eddie. He's not in here. He's in the back, so I can say that. He's my Cousin Eddie. Some of you got uncles that show up sometimes for family reunions, and they're that uncle, you know? But you know what? They're family, right? Some of you have immediate and extended families that just rub you the wrong way, right? But you can't get rid of them. They're family. You can't sell them. You can't give them away. They're yours to keep. The blessing of God. Uh, in, your, in your immediate family, in your extended family, you need that cushioning, don't you? You need that, that padding so that you don't go bone to bone and crunch one another. Um, in, the, in the family of God, among Jesus' children, can I tell you, you still need synovial fluid, as it were. You got to. I mean, in all of our, you know, ethereal unification here, you know, we come to church and we wear our best and we, we put on the face that the week has been great. And we show each other maybe a dressed up version spiritually of ourselves. But the truth is, at home, sometimes it's crunch time. Uh, can I tell you that we, we, need, we need that, what, call Paul, uh, what Paul called, that bond of peace. That unity that comes through the common spirit. The unity is not ours. We don't manufacture it ourselves. The unity we need, it comes through that common spirit. Now, our job is, is to preserve the unity. Our job, put another way, is not to mess it up. What God has brought together, let no man put asunder. Our job is to fight hard to protect the unity of our marriages, of our homes, and of the family that is the family of God. Now, that is a full-time job. And often has overtime. Amen? And very often, you don't like the guy working next to you. That's just the fact of the matter. Very often, the guy next to you may rub you wrong. Very often, the guy working next to you may come from a whole other industry, so to speak. His background may be completely different. Maybe he doesn't have quite the experience that you wanted him to have. Maybe he doesn't do his job as perfectly as you would like him to do it. But guess what? The boss has hired him nonetheless and brought him on to do his job, his unique job. And the hand doesn't get to say to the foot, we don't need you. That's how it works. And Paul here in this chapter 4 says, we, we got to have that fluid of peace, gentleness, kindness, patience, tolerance for one another. We've got to walk this thing out in love so that we're not bone on bone with one another. Um, I was... Uh, having coffee with a pastor friend a couple weeks ago. And uh, we were talking about preaching and the foolishness of preaching. Paul's words, not mine. But time to time when you're a pastor, you do feel like there is a foolishness to what you do. I mean, we say stuff here. We, we try and unpack the truth of this eternal word before the body, week in and week out, sometimes more than once. And, uh, and then at the end of the day, we sing a song and we go out and we, we have no clue sometimes whether or not it becomes applicable to you. 
And uh, this friend, he said, he said, you know, we have to work just as hard at making sure that the truth is applied so that our people don't just walk out with truth unapplied. I mean, that would be, if you think about it rationally, that would just be foolishness to gather truth but never apply it, wouldn't it? So what I'm saying is that it would be foolishness for us to come in here and hear the, the teaching of God's word, even if we do it well, even if we unpack it well, even if you understand it well, but then to go out and then have done nothing about it. And I said, yeah, you're right, you're right. Part of our job is to figure out ways to help you come to grips with what God's saying, right? Because you can punch your clock here for the next 10, 15 minutes and then get back out there and then you've, you've escaped, right? My pastor growing up used to say that uh, for the last five minutes of the service, he would look out and see us white-knuckled, hands to the back of the, the seat in front of us. And he says, you got that death grip on the pew because during that old-fashioned invitation time, he says, as long as you can hold on to that pew for just a few more minutes, you'll escape, you'll get away. That, that still, quiet voice of the Holy Spirit inside of you telling you to do this or change that or confront this in your own heart, mind, or life. Go to that person. Ask for forgiveness. Repent over here. Confess sin to me. Come to the altar. Take communion. Fall right where you are to your knees. If you can just get past the first... The next few minutes, you're home free. I mean, that's, that's our feeling. And sometimes I wonder if, if we white-knuckle it through the whole, the whole service and, and we get away and we, we really don't do anything about it. So uh, we, we do things differently around here. And so today we'll, we'll do things differently in a different way. Um, I'm not going to keep preaching to you the rest of chapter 4 this morning until we... Until we um, Figure out what we're going to do with what we've learned. The question is, okay, after, after Paul's most recent teaching here in chapter 4, the question that's been nagging me is, okay, pastor, how now practically are we going to, together and individually, how are we going to preserve the unity of this body? And I have some ideas. In the original intent of today's message, kind of down the same road, was for me to now give you a list of seven ways that we can preserve the unity of the body. Seven ways that you can walk out of here and preserve the unity of the body. And I'm going to take it a step further. Instead of me giving you how you can practically preserve the unity of this body, I'm curious, I'm curious that you might come up with a way that you, we, can preserve the unity of this body. So if I put you on the spot, if I asked you the question, how could we do this? How are you going to walk in a manner worthy of your calling in regard to preserving the unity of the body? I mean, we're going to keep going in this. And he's going to get to the family specifically. He's going to get to being uh, children and parents and husbands and wives. And he's going to get to being bosses and workers. We're going to get to different areas of your life. But how about we just stop right here and say, how are we? How can we preserve the unity of the body? How can we do it? And so uh, Vic is going to play Phil Donahue. He's going to walk around with a microphone if you need a microphone. <laughs> we should have put some baby powder in your hair. Uh, 
Remember Phil Donahue? Drove me nuts. And I, I'm curious. I mean, this is a body, right? We're a family. Amen? And we're here around the table, and, uh, and we've said very often that we're not here just to pull off an hour's service. Don't get too close. You make me nervous. And uh, Cousin Eddie. But we're not, we're not here just to hear Ricky sing and listen to me wax eloquent, give you a couple funny Loompa illustrations and go home and go back to your life. I mean, we've got we've to figure this out. Amen? And I mean, if this is the place where we very often go awry, if this is the first place where Paul says, hey, make sure we get this right when walking worthy, make sure that we get the unity of the body right so that the guys out there aren't pointing and laughing and mocking at our house divided, and then maybe we should we should take a minute and just figure out what can we do? How can we how can we maintain, preserve the unity of the body practically? And so I've got a I've got a short list running. And I'm gonna write down yours because I'm interested. Who's got an idea? Jeff, what do you think? Jeff's loud. He's Hold on, Jeff. You might gotta get over here. I think as a church body, we need to, to hold each other accountable. I mean, to hold your brother and sisters accountable in a loving way that the outsiders don't look at us divided, where if, if this is what we're commanded, if this is what the Bible tells us to do, we are to do it, and we are to hold them accountable. All right, so we all know what holding accountable is, Jeff. But how do we do that in a loving way? Because in a, a lot of way? us don't have a problem holding holding each other accountable. But I think the we problem do. comes. But I think we do. Okay. We, we come here, mm-hmm. and, and we know what someone's done Monday through Saturday, but we don't confront them. We okay. don't sit there, one, do some inner perspective of ourselves and are having our quiet time or having this and having that and to sit there and love on them by saying, hey, look, whether it's how you raise your children, what you're watching, what you're drinking, what you're listening to, and just and love on them. But sit there and say, hey, look, this is why people aren't coming to the kingdom mm. is because we're acting like a, something that's not very nice. And they say, what's the difference? So until we can, can, can love on our brothers and, and have some discipleship, we're not going to be united. We're not going to have that. Yeah, not during the week. I mean, we can come here for an hour, like you said, put on our, our best dress, put on that happy face, come here. But until we, you know, are start holding our, our brothers and sisters that are closest to us accountable to their actions and their lack of actions, whether it's in, in, the, in the service, whether it's in ministry, whether it's in, in evangelizing, there's so many things that we look good when we come here on Sunday. But what did the other hundred and some hours of the week look like? All right. So now, so you have a situation where you might, you might be willing. Let's say you're willing to confront a brother mm-hmm. on something. Give us some practical advice on how to do that so that that confrontation doesn't cause more disunity, but it, it preserves the unity. But I think that's where how you, are need, you, gonna do it? you need to go to the Lord and you need to find Scripture. And of where it tells you to sit there and say, hey, one, confront a brother. And then once again, if you've confronted them, hey, take another brother with you and sit there and have, have scripture where it says, hey, look, this is, right. this is where it believes. But once again, yeah. you have to have a relationship where you're not just seeing somebody on Sunday, right. whether it's calling somebody, emailing, say, hey, just checking on you, just want to love on you. Gotcha. But, but to sit there and say, hey, look, hey, let's walk down this road together. Let's role play. Right. I mean, there's so many different scenarios out there. So a uh, trivia question. Who knows the passage that he's referring to? Go to them yourself. Take a brother. 
Matthew 18, 19. But I, I think until we get there, you're right, society's going to laugh at us because we are making a, a mockery of that word. We are making ourselves look like fools out there because we say one thing and do something else, and until we can stand up and, 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 and love on whether it's our spouse, our family member, or someone across mm. the, our chairs, until we can do that, we're, we're, we're just we're playing. We're yeah. playing church. Okay. Is there ever a need for tough love confrontation in your family? Sometimes there is. Um, very often, our response to that, I know when my wife comes as the Holy Spirit often prompts her to do and says, hey, what about this, Pastor? Um, it's never easy. What is your first reaction to that confrontation? Just to bow up, isn't it? Just to bow up. Um, we, and as a body, as a family, corporate, as a church, can we just commit? Can we, can we recognize that that is our first inclination? That if, that if Jeff comes to me next week and he, and he says, well, what about this, brother? Um, G.I. Joe said, now you know knowing is half a battle. Okay, so it's one of those things. Let's just agree that we all know this. Your first inclination, my first inclination, is going to be to resist that confrontation. So get over that. Don't just sit in the moment of your resisting that word. We as a family have to be able to receive that, take it to heart, pray about it. Hey, is Jeff right? Do I need, do I need to deal with that? Because it can go wrong if he doesn't confront then it goes wrong. If he does confront and you don't receive and you bow up and rebel against it, then that's not bringing greater unity. But we, we both have a part to play. All right, somebody else. Man in the back row here. Yes, sir, state your name. <laughs> For the record. <laughs> um, I think that um, the greatest way to develop unity is to have fellowship. Um, I think confronting one another for our issues is very important. However, rules without relationship will always bring rebellion. And we've got to understand that we are not the Holy Spirit, and people do have different interpretations of some verses. You said last week that unity is not all being unified and believing the same thing, but unity is coming together in the bond of Christ. But the biggest, um, one of the biggest downfalls I see in the body of Christ is a lack of fellowship. And uh, I'll just say this because we're, you know, we're all family. But I've been coming here on and off for about a year. The only people I know is you and Vic and Dee. You know, nobody's invited us over, nor or Brittany. Of course, we've invited them over. Um, and I'm not asking for an invite unless it's lunch and you're paying. Um, but we don't do anything together. Yeah, uh, we, we, we don't know each other. And how can you speak into my life if you don't know me? And how can I receive that if I don't know you? Vince, how do we spell fellowship in in your home, with your family, with your kids? How do you, how do you spell fellowship? I spell it L-O-V-E. Okay. What, what, I don't know if that's what you wanted. That's a good answer. Yeah. And, and time. Yeah. T-I-M-E. But if you love somebody, you'll spend time with them. Yeah. So. But we don't spend time with each other. And, and the, the greatest churches we've ever belonged to have been churches where we cared for each other outside of this place. Because like you said well, and, and he said, we're, you know, it's, it's easy to be nice in here. Hmm. Um, but I have to leave in about 20 minutes, and then I go back to putting my regular face on. 
and I've got to deal with that. But I could get, I could use you in my life to help me deal with that. So I think fellowship is important. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean we have to eat meals together, or, but that's important. I've said for years, and Vic will know this, the greatest thing as a pastor that I ever wanted was to just go out and have coffee with somebody. And that, You've done that with me, and I'm sure, and Vic has, of course. But that's to me, just so we get to talk, just yeah. to get to know each other. So, we're, so we're let's take it another practical step. Somebody else, idea on how we, how do we get there? How do we get the fellowship, the, the L-O-V-E and the T-I-M-E? Practical, how are you going to do it? Sorry, I was raising my hand for something else. Oh, well, you got to wait then. Hey, I'm Christy. Um, my my biggest problem is that I isolate, and um, it's it's really something that I've um, battled my whole life with hmm. is isolation. And like half of what he said was true. And then there's something else that's helped me with the isolation. One thing is all the women's events. It helps you to get to know other women Mm -hmm. and Bible studies. And so when I come to church lately, the women have walked up to me and hugged me that I've known. And so in my mind, I don't know if this makes sense to y'all, but in my mind, I'm like, oh, well, I should go to church because I'm getting to know women. You know, they're actually coming up to me because it's hard for me to go up to them, Hmm. you know, because of a past church I was in. And then as far as the confrontation, um, I prefer confrontation with a whole lot of love, not just blah, 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 blah. I think we all do. Yeah. And um, Brittany, who lives right across the street from me, she will confront me. I know she loves me. So I don't get upset when she confronts me. Hmm. And she will tell me straight out what I'm doing. And, you know, just um, getting out of the house, you know, she helps me with that. And if if there's something that I need to do or if there's something she's in fear of for me, um, she's right there. You know, once um, it was so funny, I'll just say it real quick. Um, She was at my front door about to knock. And she had an apple pie for my husband. And I was about to open my front door because I had gotten all these, all this chicken from a friend. And um, it was just neat because we were right there for each other, mm. you know. And I don't know if that has anything to do with what we're talking about. Well, I think but, you're putting together well what, is, what has been said into one, that if, if, if you can get in each other's lives to the degree that you are appreciated and known, yeah. then these opportunities become more natural, would you say? Yeah, and you trust the person. Like, yeah. I trust her because I know she loves mm. me. So if she confronts me, I don't go right. into defense mode. Right. You know, if someone here confronted me that I didn't know, I would probably go in, into defense mode mm. unless it was done in a very loving way. Mm. Thank you. So somebody else, how are you going to now practically, how can you, how can we practically answer this question of, Fellowship, time, love. What are some things you can do? We've been accused of being very judgmental as a people, God. And I think it's because we... Christians in general? Christians in general. I think we lack discernment and understanding of one another. First of all, I I think we're quick to judge each other over our sins other than loving them through their sins. 
I think it takes extreme discernment of us to understand, you know, that you're not in the same position or walk in our Christian life as the other person. And God is working in each person's life where they're at now. And you may be somewhere else. So I, to me, it's important that we understand that, you know, I, just for example, a new convert came to me one time, and he just very freshly knew, and he said, do I have to quit smoking and drinking now? Uh, well, you know, there's no, no big answer to that question, but yes, you, sh- you probably should. But God is already convicting you of that, isn't he? Mm. You know, you got to love him through that and not judge him through that. Mm. Let God work at him at the speed God's going to work at him at that individual. And don't judge that person through all their mm. sins. I think God thought, taught that through the Hebrews you know, very early on. He gave them the law. And they worked for that for generations upon generations. And then he gives Christ and grace hmm. and love. So I think we have to learn the law. We're all in a process of learning. But we're eventually going to get that process of grace and love. Yeah. And we're all in different places. And we need to understand that. Yeah. You know, so. That's good. I think if we could give each other uh, an initial benefit of the doubt, that would go a long way to preserving the unity. You think? I mean, just the benefit of the doubt. Just... Go ahead and be the person that assumes that even when you see something in someone else's life, just assume the best. Don't walk away from the confronting of it, but if we could give the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I had a good friend, older gentleman, he passed away just a few years ago of a brain tumor. Just a great man of God, but he was just so good at confrontation that you never knew he was confronting you. And uh, he always would lead into it with the old, the old. Let me say something really good here. And and then even when he said what he was going to say that was confrontational, he always said it in a way that made it about him, but that you wanted to be a part of as well. And so he would come and he'd say, "Daryl, you know, you're really good at this. And you know what? I really, str- I really struggle at this. And this is so hard. Don't you think that's so hard as well? You ever?" Yeah, and I would find myself agreeing with him. And he was just it was just so gentle. And he would always give me that benefit of the doubt that we both struggled. I struggled, but he struggled as well. And he didn't highlight me, he highlighted himself. You know what that did? That opened my heart to whatever he was trying to highlight in me. Preserving the unity. How are you going to do it practically? Somebody else? Brittany, you ready? Is this another thing or this is originally. All right, let's go. We got it. I didn't want you to forget the first one. Um, I think as a body that we need to learn to come together to seek God's face in prayer together and get over our fear of praying with one another because I don't know about you guys, but in my own heart and my own self, I lack the power to walk in a manner worthy of my calling. I don't naturally have love for you guys to the degree that God has called us to. I have to have God by his Holy Spirit to implant that in me. And that's only going to happen by seeking his face, by seeking and knocking and asking and doing it together. And if we can't talk to our God together, 
I don't understand how we're going to be able to do anything else, how mm. we're going to talk to each other, how we're going to deal with people who are lost. Mm. If I have not been before God's face, I am guaranteed to say or do the wrong thing in dealings with other people. I just, plain and simple, if I'm not walking in the spirit, I will fail. And so I, I wish we could all somehow in our busy lives get make it a priority to pray together and not just the few who pray, but all of us learn to pray with one another. Mm. Um, it is scary. Um, but if that's an area that we could come alongside and help each other to get past, I think we would see such an exponential growth in all of these areas if we were just able to pray about these things together. Sure. That's what the church in Acts did. Someone else? I think um, that God very specifically gives each one of us one or two people of the same sex in your mind, like often throughout the week. And for me, if some if God brings that person to my mind, I send them a text or call them or email them or whatever and say, I'm just thinking about you. Um, and then that way it makes it easier for somebody to say, well, good, because I need this. You know, I need you to pray for me about this or something like that. That is the way you get to know somebody is just when God, I think God puts us in each other's lives, you know, common bonds, there's things that you have in common or whatever, and they see each other throughout the week or whatever, and then you can start praying together, then you start that relationship, and then once you are walking together, then the you know, then you can confront each other. I mean, I think that's the same thing that Christy was saying. But, I mean, I think God is, if we are open to what God's saying to us, he does put a few other, in my case, women in my life that he will constantly bring to my mind that I can be praying for, that I can call, that I can text, that I need to be doing. And a lot of times, we don't do it. I think that when we stop and listen to what God is telling us, that's when all of this unity will come together because each one of us will have three or four that we're talking to and that we're in each other's lives and that we are holding accountable and growing together in Christ. And that makes us a more unified and strong body. I think. What can you do to preserve the unity? Something that... Uh worked with me many, many years ago was um, your time. You know, we, we can talk about each other, building each other up, and that's good, but if we're not standing on a firm foundation, I don't think we're going to do much people help. And so something that's really helped me when I was a young Christian, I was challenged to see how much time I was spending with God how much time I watched TV, how much time um, I was in the Word, how much time I played sports, hobbies, whatever. And it was really sad at the end of the week how much time I devoted to God. And, um, you know, I challenge each of us, put out a journal and see. I think you'd be surprised how much time we're really spending with God. If, if, if we're not spending time with God, all the fellowship isn't going to help us. We have to spend time with God. Preach. 
and uh, I don't really I don't really have any new suggestions. But just kind of listening to everybody, to me, it uh, it almost kind of seems like we're we're all kind of on the same general page here. And I don't know, maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm thinking along with some certain line. I just uh, was sitting here thinking about a lot of the older congregations and stuff in our area as I've been kind of studying some of the old church histories and things like that. And, uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I just, I just wonder if maybe there's a lot to be learned from people who come before us because we, we don't spend a lot of time in the Bible. It's not just here. It's even our families, we don't even get together for Thanksgiving. It used to be major. So what's changed? I don't know what's changed. Anybody know? Bob, you know. I can see it. No? It's off. It's off. I don't know three quarters of the people that are in here. And I, and I was sitting in the back of my mind thinking about this. Is we all the churches we attended always had a directory mm -hmm. to get to know people. I figure if we stuck all our pictures up on the board out there, put our names underneath them as we come in, we can pick out one each time we come in in this building and think about that person and pray for that person. But when you go before God, say, "Well, I want to pray for the guy in the red shirt, yeah, or the guy in the brown shirt." He still knows. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying. I, but getting to know the family like we do at home, yeah. you know all your children's names, right? That'd be a, that'd be a, I do, I think. <laughs> that'd be a great idea, Bob. And there actually is a board out there that by chance says family above it. And um, can I tell you, getting family pictures is like pulling teeth. You don't want us to have your picture. We've asked. Give us a picture. Put your picture on the board. Good idea, Bob. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> she volunteered her son. <laughs> yeah. All right. So if you see a guy out there with a camera, from here until, what did you say? Second coming. Yeah. And uh, that's what that board is there for. And, uh, you know, you've got a picture at home. Write your name on it. Put it up there. That'd be good. How else? How can you preserve the unity? How are you going to preserve the unity? Lamar?
All right, somebody start the clock here. Yeah, yeah. Um, over the past couple of years, I've learned a lot of things. Um, well, hope you all have, but um, in my life and all the exposures that I've had and in running a couple of businesses and trying to achieve certain things, coming from a very, um, from a very poor background, um, you know, raised by a single mom, ninth grade education, single wide trailer, you know, lived in the trailer hood, that kind of stuff. Uh, and y'all can laugh at that if you want to, because, yeah. Anyway, um, what I realized about myself was something that I've since realized about everyone is that there's a hole in every person that causes us to strive to achieve a certain thing, and it's different for all of us. Some people want to achieve financial success. Some people want to achieve, uh, you know, the white picket fence house. Some people want to achieve love. Some people want to, you know, raise a family. Some people want to get a certain car. Um, and, and I found that no matter what it is that you want in life, whatever that hole is that it's in you, you find a way to look at everyone else's hole and figure out why there's something wrong with that, but there's nothing wrong with your own hole um, that you're trying to fill. So ultimately, and, and what I'm talking about here is worldview, you know, uh, where how you see the world and how you see the meaning in the world and the things that you decide to go after um, will shape your actions. Um, we had a we had a uh, sermon or whatever I forget six eight months ago a year ago where the the battleship versus cruise ship um, or maybe, maybe that not that might not have been the one I'm thinking of uh, it was one where the video was played where the guy was saying if I were Satan here are the things that I would try to do to you and if I couldn't get you trapped in pornography or in in lust I would I would do this other thing and if I, that didn't work I would do this other thing and then the very last thing that he said in the video he said and if none of that worked. I would make you busy. I'd make you so busy that you couldn't think even about the things that you needed to be doing. So I say all of that to say this, that I think that the, the, the biggest problem that we have in this world, certainly in America and quite probably in this church and in any other church, is that when we wake up every morning, there's a laundry list of things that we think that we need to be accomplishing that day or that week that at the end of at the end of it all, it's completely irrelevant. Um, I, I like to say, if you could close your eyes and picture yourself being in the middle of the desert, all by yourself, nothing's there, just you, and doesn't matter how, but you have water and food, and you know you don't have to think about that. But you're just sitting there, really start decompressing from all of the things that you otherwise would be thinking that you need to accomplish that day or that week, and and consider their insignificance. And so, that being said. Uh, like um, Vic said, oh, he's over here now. Um, I guess the mic didn't magically come over here. Anyway, um, you know, like Vic said, is that you you really have to evaluate what are you doing um, or not doing that you need to be. And and I have found that a foundational um, place in my heart of of putting God first um, is is very important to 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 start. And if I find that that in any given day that I'm not giving myself to God, then what am I giving myself to? This is not a plug particularly, but it may be helpful to some of those more motivated folks in here. Um, like myself, I signed up for uh, an account with a, a service called I Run, You Run, and it's free. It's I-R-U-N-U-R-U-N.com. And you can build things that you consider to be important for your success to do them on a daily basis. And you, you rank them 
and you score them. And then every day you check off whether you did them or not. And at the end of the week, you get a score, zero to 100. Well, I set up 45 minutes with God daily in any capacity, and I might refine that later, but it could be listening to sermons, it could be journaling, praying, reading, whatever, drinking four bottles of water a day, which I've considered to be important for my health and, you know, whatever, and then uh, walking nine miles a week, which Mike and I do together. And I find that recording it and going back and looking at it, my first score the first week was a 55. And you know where I failed the most? was in the 45 minutes with God because I get up in the morning and I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. But before tracking it, I realized, or I thought, I'm sorry, that I was doing it. I was like, I'm doing pretty good. You know, yeah, I mean, I might miss a day a week or something, but I'm spending my time with God. But when I actually tracked it, it was like three days out of seven that I was spending with God. And so the next week, even though it was motivated by a score, I spent more time with God, and I don't really care why I spent more time with God. I did, and it, and it was beneficial to me. And so um, my score is still not what I want it to be. That's the whole idea, is that if it gets too easy, you make it a little more challenging. But the point of me saying that was is that in tracking what you – deciding what you need to do, tracking what you need to do, you'll realize you're not doing it. And then as Vic said, hey, he's timing. He turned on the clock. Um, you shouldn't have brought it back here. Then, uh, then, then uh, you know, tracking what you need to do, doing the things that you need to do will result in positive actions. That being said, busyness, I think, is our biggest problem. Spending the time with the right people and not chasing after the things that fill the hole in us and then replacing that with actually loving people that are important to us because when we're 99.9 years old, we're going to look back and regret a whole lot of things. So I, I try to do things that cause me not to, to have regrets later. Don't always succeed. That's my... That's my, 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 my whatever you want to call it. Hallelujah, amen. Here you go, Vic. You can add 10 points to your score. It took you 45 minutes. I say one more minute. And, uh, okay. I, I, I can't give advice to everybody uh, as the body. As men, um, I have to say looking back to, like, my grandfather, um, that generation – I don't know, it's real enticing. Maybe it's just my age. Maybe we all get like that at about 40-something years old. But These men were, my granddaddy's friends, they were fast friends. They all went to the same church together. They helped one another build each other's houses. They worked in each other's gardens. They helped one another with their cars and whatever. For me, frankly, I, I don't have any friends. I, I mean, I have friends. I don't have fast friends. I don't, I don't spend any time with anybody. I think it will go a long way for the men of the church, and, and I'm as guilty, I'm more guilty than anyone probably that I can think of of not spending time with the other men here. I think if we, uh, if we do things together, I think it will go a long way with at least preserving that part of the unity of the body. I'll commit to it. If anybody else will, I'll, I'll definitely commit to it. Well, Ricky, with that said, why don't you come forward with that commitment? <laughs> I'm serious. I'm just, yeah, do come up. Um, you know, I, uh, a few months ago we started this men of prayer thing, and uh, I always have secret reasons for things. You know, they, there's the obvious reasons. Of course, we should be praying together. Of course.
course, the men should be praying together. But the secret pastor reason is, is exactly what Ricky just described there. And I, can I tell you, first time we came and we got together and uh, half a dozen of us prayed together for an hour or so, just shared. We didn't just pray. We shared. Here's where I'm winning in life. Here's where I'm losing. Here's where I lost my temper. Here's where I need you guys to pray for me. Here's what's working for me. Shared for about an hour, prayed together, split up and, uh, and prayed with each other for a minute. That was cool. You know what was even better? That next Sunday, following that, uh, and I wasn't looking for this. I just, I think God just pointed it out. That next Sunday, I got here and I saw a few of the guys who were at that last prayer time uh, who might say hello to each other <laughs> normally. They, they didn't just say hello, but they spoke and they actually hugged, ladies. One time, they got together, shared some stuff, prayed with each other. That next Sunday, those guys were hugging when they saw each other. I think that's kind of what we're getting at here. Um, that creates something. Historically, I was thinking about it just a moment ago, we haven't had a problem with unity, really. We haven't had a, any major problem with unity in our church. But you know the problem with that, not having a problem? is part of the reason we've not had a problem with unity is because You've not gotten close enough to be bone on bone. And we keep each other from each other. Uh, I've been talking about here and there for a little while. You'll hear more about this as we get closer to the fall. This idea of this challenge of giving yourself away to this community, giving ourselves away as a church to this community. Can we start by maybe considering that God would have us give ourselves away to each other? Put another way, let someone in. Let someone in. It's one thing to be willing to connect with someone. It's a whole nother thing, and I'm finding out just as important that we each be willing to let someone in. Uh, in a word, maybe, relationships is what this boils down to. Do we have them or do we not? This church is not going to grow on teaching, however good or bad it may be, on the worship service of music, however good or bad it might be. Can I tell you, we've been doing this six years now. Here's, here's where it happens or it doesn't happen in relationship. Christianity is designed to be played out, to be walked out on this earth, sovereignly designed to play out in relationship. Your relationship with him creates a situation where now you can truly relate to each other. But let me give you, let me give you um, a hint right here. It's not just going to naturally happen. You're not going to just naturally fall in love with every other Christian out there. It's not going to be easy is what I mean. Just expect that you're going to have to let someone in that you may not normally let in. And you're going to have to give yourself away to someone else that on a normal basis, if you were just go out and pick your friends, it may not be the guy you would pick. But in the body of Christ, we don't get to choose who God adopts, do we? Let's pray. Lord, because you have adopted us, you've chosen us, and we can't understand even why you've chosen us. When we know ourselves very well, we see all of our flaws. 
Like Paul, we say, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of sin? But we also say, thanks be to Jesus Christ who has saved us, overlooked all of our faults, all of our shortcomings. You have been kind to us. You have been tolerant to us. You have been long-suffering with us. You have been gentle towards us. You've, You've accepted us warts and all, we might say. And so, Lord, as we look around, as we extend the relationship that you have created in us with your Son, we're able to extend that relationship, warts and all, to those who are around us. And, Lord, we need it. We need it. We've got to throw back, as Ricky says, to a Christianity that's a front porch Christianity and not a back porch Christianity. Behind our privacy fence, Christianity. Lord, send us back to the front porch. Connect us. Unify us. And Lord, I think we're figuring out that unity takes time. And love takes time. So Lord, the question in this last moment, as we just sit for one last moment, the question is, how am I? How are we? What are we going to do to practically make this happen? Holy Spirit, speak to us as we just sit and listen for just a moment. Give us the courage to ask this tough question right now. Lord, tell us, how are we doing in giving away our time to each other? Holy Spirit, tell us, how are we doing in building relationships, being available to a relationship with others in this body? Tell us. Lord, tell us where to start. Give us us a plan of action, Lord. Give us a face. Give us a place to start. Lord, something miraculous could happen in the body of Christ. There could be something holy and divine, something beyond our own capability. There could be something that happens in the family of God that awakens a soul, that awakens a soul out of the darkness that stirs them to say that there's something there's something of God there 
Lord, I beg for grace to cover all the gaps. I beg for your grace to be that fluid that keeps us from rubbing each other and pushing each other away. Might the peace that you have accomplished at the high price of the cross, might it flow among us at a depth that that fills all the holes in our character, in our personality that might push us away from each other. Lord, do, do a work in each of us that causes us to willingly make ourselves available to someone else in this body. And Lord, show us Give us an action plan. Give us a step one for practically building a relationship in this body. And Lord, might it spread like wildfire. All to your glory. All to your glory. Might the church be to your glory. Might we walk Worthy of the calling, the high calling of Jesus Christ in us. I love you, Lord. Thank you for being. Thank you for being Jesus, our cornerstone. We pray and ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Remember to bless the Lord. We're dismissed. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.